Hi, I'm Griffin. This time on Schooljack, Chad and Clint talk about the wild lunchroom, discuss the troubles with cell phones, and talk about what's making them happy in Dad Chat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, this is Chad, just waking up from my food-induced coma and coming to you from Astoria, Oregon. And I'm Clint, still wiping the mashed potatoes and gravy out of my mustache here in Roanoke, Virginia. Welcome to episode 8 of our second season of Schoolja, the podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk across the country about their combined 30-plus years of education experience. And anything else we can come up with, we're basically spitballing here. The goal is to make a podcast the teachers, and anyone else, tell your friends, find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch, but without the complaining. Well, we don't complain, we kindly and patiently express our disapproval about things that don't go the way we want them to. We both like to eat. Oh yeah, food is the best. Agreed. And since we just finished Thanksgiving, the holiday probably most well known for its ethos of unrestrained gluttony, we thought we should talk about food. Uh, That sounds pretty boring. I mean, I like food and all, but... Well, more specifically, school lunch. There's nothing boring about that, right? I think we can spice that up. (laughs) Get it? We figured that a school... We figured that a school cafeteria with all the food and the smells and the mess and the messy, disgusting students probably has some pretty funny stories. So we searched the World Wide Web and our own personal histories for some doozies and decided to share a couple here on the show. And to add a little seasoning to this segment, we figured why not make it a quiz as well? Clint, why don't you go first? It's a good joke. I'm glad you milked that joke. Okay. (laughs) This is a personal story, so here we go. Here's the quiz part. In my elementary school during my third grade year, my friends and I refused to sit at any of the brown tables for which reason? A, they were known as the puke tables. B, brown is the color of poop, and that's gross. C, we heard a rumor that the brown tables never got washed. And D, those tables were for girls only. So I'm thinking it's either C or D, mostly because they're least logical. And what grade did you say you were in? Third. Yeah. The poop one's too obvious. I'm going to say D. They were for girls only. The girls only got the brown tables? Ah! Here's the story. In third grade, I moved schools, so I was in a brand new place, and I didn't have any friends. Within my first week at the school, I sat down at an empty table to eat my lunch. And uh, I got out my peanut butter sandwich, and I started to chow down. And while I was eating, I noticed a little pile of applesauce that someone had spilled. Uh, I wondered why no one had cleaned it up and kept eating. After a while, I noticed that lots of the other kids were staring at me and whispering to each other about something. Finally, (laughs) one of them came up to me and said, come sit with us. Danny puked over there, gesturing toward the pile of not applesauce. And then he said, and that's grody. So I went and sat with those kids who, along with the puker, Danny, became my best friends. Since that table was brown, and after it was cleaned up, we never really knew where the puke had been. We never sat at brown tables ever again. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty sweet story, too, because it's kind of how you made friends. So That's right. I made friends. Yeah. I learned not to sit at the puke table. I learned that puke and applesauce are not the same thing. (laughs) I'm not sure what he threw up, but it seriously looked like a little pile of applesauce. So I don't have a personal story, but I did a little research, and this one really caught my attention. So two lunch lady sisters, ages 67 and 61, were dismissed from their jobs at a Connecticut middle and high school earlier this year for doing what? A, using the school kitchen to make drugs. B, 
placing old shoes in the school chili pots. <laughs> C, videotaping and then posting on social media themselves, visibly intoxicated and mocking the superintendent from the school kitchen. <laughs> or D, stealing almost half a million dollars from the school lunch account over a period of years. Drugs seems too obvious. Making videos and posting them on social media also seems too obvious. So I'm thinking it's going to be B or D. I don't know why you would ever do this, and I don't know why you would think of this as a fake answer. So I'm going to go with B, that they put shoes in the chili for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because that seems so weird. Oh, I wish. I did such a good job writing the fake ones, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Here's what we got here. The sisters were charged with larceny and defrauding the public for allegedly stealing, listen to this, $478,000. Oh my gosh. From 2012 to 2017, solely from the cash exchanges from students buying their lunches. Wow. Yeah, it turns out that neighboring school district was concerned about their their numbers weren't matching up with this school district's numbers. And so they let these ladies go for a few weeks and noticed that uh, they were bringing in a lot more money. That started the investigation. (laughs) They found that they had taken almost a half a million bucks. That's crazy. I did not realize how much money goes through the cafeteria. What made you come up with the idea of putting shoes in the chili? Because that was brilliant. There's actually a podcast that I enjoy called Stuff You Should Know. I'm sure you've listened to it. And one of the hosts on there, Chuck, talks about his first job working at an Italian restaurant. A disgruntled employee in the kitchen put one of his shoes in a soup pot uh, prior to serving it to diners. Those kinds of stories make me nervous about ever eating out. Because you never know when someone yeah. is disgruntled and it's their last day right. and they're doing something terrible. Right. Yeah, I want all my I want all my cooks to be gruntled. <laughs> I think at one point I looked up gruntled and it at one point was a word, but unfortunately it's not <laughs> oh, anymore. We right. need to bring it back. Well, that was interesting. Makes me want to eat a school lunch even more now or maybe do some embezzling. <laughs> do you have a few lunchroom humdingers that you'd like to share? Shoot us an email at schooljapodcast.com or... Posted on our Facebook page at School Japod. And now let's take a quick break. Hey everyone. Well, it's winter. The days are short and cold, and you and your students are struggling through those midwinter blues. But you know, nothing picks up the spirit like a good old fashioned snow day. And while the forecast for the next few weeks is providing glimpses of optimism, it's probably not likely going to happen. That's when I found our good friends at Snow Day Inc. These folks are awesome. Give them a call and within 24 hours they're there and ready to work. Here's how it works. First, they identify all the personnel in charge of calling off school. Next, they tap into those folks' Wi-Fi and television feeds, creating actual fake news, such as phony weather reports and satellite maps, predicting snow and ice to blanket your community. Last, they arrive at those same people's homes with snow and ice machines to ensure that when they wake up the next morning, there's no doubt those buses won't be rolling. By the time your superintendent realizes it's a beautiful day, it'll be too late, and Snow Day Inc. will be long gone and on their way to making other teachers' wishes come true. So the next time you just need that break in the middle of the week, call Snow Day Inc. Because you can't change the weather, but you sure can fake it. And welcome back. Oh, can can you wait a minute? My mom's calling me. Dude, we're trying to record a show. I know, I know, but it's really important. So she, she, she's bringing me lunch, and she wants to know if I went Burger King or McDonald's. 
Oh, sorry, that is important. We'll wait. Seriously, though, these are the sorts of conversations we as teachers have all the time. It seems like nearly every student has a cell phone and wants no needs to be on it all the time. And teachers, schools, and districts everywhere are trying to decide how to implement policies and restrictions, so we're jumping into the cell phone conversation today as well. We're going to talk about the hassles, the benefits, and some of the things we're seeing classrooms do to make the most out of cell phone use while also limiting the distractions. So let's start here. Clint, what is your biggest complaint about cell phones? Well, I think you kind of nailed it in the intro. It's those pointless interruptions where the phone buzzes in the middle of class and I'm trying to give instruction or have people focus in on an assignment and instead of being able to focus on me they're focused on that little computer in their pocket. How about you? What bugs you? For me the biggest thing that I think we're getting out of just the increase in cell phone use is just the lack of attention span and I don't know maybe it's not any worse than it was 20 years ago. They say now that the average adolescent's attention span it's crazy small how short you know a, a student can really pay attention to what we're doing and I think a lot of that can be attributed to just that instant gratification of a cell phone. I feel like it's like this constant battle. Like even if the phone's not out and is not a immediate distraction, like they're looking at it, like you're describing, I feel like it's always kind of something in the back of their mind. You know, and I say they, I mean, I'm this way too. I think, I think we all are. Any of us that use cell phones regularly is just, you know, what messages could I be getting or, or what could I be checking right now that I think just draws attention away from what we're trying to do. And, you know, I tell my students at the beginning of the year, I could be the best teacher in the world, and I don't think I can compete with your cell phone. Oh, no. They are engineered to draw our attention to them. The whole purpose is to keep us on the device or on the website as long as possible. And so it's one person against a team of engineers and uh, and visual stimulation. How are we supposed to compete with that? The other thing that comes to mind, too, is the bullying and the harassment that takes place. I mean, our kids communicate through social media more than adults do. As an assistant principal, I saw it a ton, but there is that sense of invincibility when you're sitting in your bedroom or your living room and you, I can say whatever and I can I can do whatever, that's a pretty scary thing. I know a lot of times kids are like, I didn't realize the impact this was going to have. And they don't. And, and that's the scary thing about it. Another big thing that I see a lot of is cheating. Kids can take pictures of their tests and send them off to other people so that they can figure out the answers for them and then send back the answers. And I think there's even apps out there that can like do math for you. Yeah, there's apps where you can literally snap a picture of a problem in a workbook or I think you can even write it out by hand and it'll just give you the answer. But all that means for us as teachers is obviously just being a lot more aware of it and having plans in place. But even so, I think it's one of those things where the technology is moving faster than the policies and the rules. Yeah, it's one of the symptoms of getting old. I think, is the fact that like it's harder to keep up with all of the changes. It seems like every other month or so, there's new changes, new apps, new stuff, and the kids just roll with it, and us old people struggle to figure it out. So, you know, I mean, cell phones aren't all bad. Are there some things that you see with them, especially in school, that are positive? One of the things I really like about it is we call them cell phones, but they're really not phones. They're like pocket computers. And I love that they have access to, like we were bemoaning that they have access to lots of information, but it's kind of great that when we're discussing something in class and the kids are like, well, what's totalitarianism? You can say, you know what? I don't have a great definition off of it. Can you look it up for me? And they'll do, 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 look it up and say, oh, this is what it is. There have been times when I don't even ask people to look it up. I'll just be like, I'm not sure about that and then we keep talking and someone will have looked it up and they'll raise their hand later and say oh by the way Mr. Hill this is what it is 
oh, okay, and let's look at how that works with whatever we were talking about. And so it really can enhance classroom discussions, having them have all of this access to information. There's a lot of times, too, I know in math and science, I've had this with my own children. If they don't understand how to do something, going on to YouTube and being able to watch like a Khan Academy video or something where they walk you through the steps of how it works is so much easier because you can watch it over and over and over again than waiting for the teacher to come and answer their specific question. For us uh, in, our, in our math department, we don't, we don't have enough textbooks for our student body. And we did that on purpose because the textbook that we use has an online version that is available to our students. At the beginning of the year, we give every kid an option. Do you, you want to go check out an $80 book? Or if you'd like to just use your, and I say phone, but I mean anything that you can access the internet with. Some kids probably use laptops and, and desktops and stuff at home, but I'm guessing most of them use their phones. And that's how they access their textbook. If they have a homework assignment, even in in class, some students would rather be on their phone using the textbook than than the ones we have in our classroom. So, I mean, just the convenience of that, knowing that it's with you everywhere you go, you don't need an $80 book that has the opportunity to get lost or stolen or ruined is huge. It's, it's, it's super helpful. And I've had students who didn't have access to a computer at home and needed to write their senior research paper so they could graduate, and they wrote the whole thing on their phones and uh, were able to accomplish a task that, you know, 10 years earlier or even maybe five years earlier, they would have had to come in before school and use our computers in the library or whatever. So I think that they do give kids the ability to accomplish tasks way more easily than than it was in the past. And I think that's the biggest thing is we have to teach them how to be responsible and respectful with this technology because it's not going to go away. It's the new world and we're the ones that have to adapt to it and help them know how to set it away from themselves during those times when they sh really shouldn't be on it and when it's okay to, to actually access it. So the more we can do that, the better. Right. So that's the big question. Like, what have you seen in classrooms that seems to be effective for doing that? One of the things that I tried this year is I have a little set of power up on the wall. I give the kids a warning and if they're on their phones, I'm like, hey, you need to put it away. And then if I see it again, then I ask them for it and I put it up in one of the little pouches. And that's been a pretty good deterrent because at the end of the class, I have sort of a five-step process of these are the routines that we follow because I'm teaching freshmen and they really need those routines. And so when we get to the last thing, that's a time when they can use their phone. I have a LeBron James big head cutout that's going down the board showing each of the four steps for the day. And then when it gets to number five, they get excited because then it's like, okay, you can clean up and you can get out your phones and you can check your messages. And it's kind of funny. That's usually one of the quietest parts of the class because they're all checking up on everything that, <laughs> that they missed. But that has been pretty effective. What about you? What have, what have you done? One of the things in our school that we have actually implemented this year is kind of a red light, green light policy that we have agreed as a school that everyone will use. It allows for enough autonomy between different areas of the school and different teachers' policies while still still keeping some level of consistency amongst the school. And basically what it is, is we all got at the beginning of the year, a piece of cardboard that was laminated. One side's green, one side's red. The agreement amongst the school is that if it is red, that means phones are put away, earbuds are put away. There is no indication of having a cell phone out. The green can be kind of, depending on the situation, 
and depending on the classroom can vary. So in my classroom, I have a big sign up next to the, I have a light actually. I bought a cheap like LED light bulb that has like a remote control and it can change between red and green. But right next to that light, uh, red just says phones put away and secured. I don't want to see earbuds, nothing. The green lights up. It says very specifically what green means. Green does not mean that you can be on your phone for anything. It means that you can be using it for a calculator and you can be using it for your textbook. Sometimes I will add to that. It's just a whiteboard. I will add to that depending on the day. Today, if you're working independently, you can be listening to music or whatever. But the idea is simply that if it's green, there is some responsible use of cell phones allowed. If it's red, it shouldn't be out at all. And then they've started to, within our school, they've started to kind of spread that into like different areas of the building. For example, our main office is always red. It should never be a, a phone out in the main office. If you go to an assembly, there'll be there'll be a red piece of paper up. Uh, if it's like an academic assembly in the auditorium, that's supposed to be a little bit more formal. If it's in the gym and if it's a pep assembly or something, you might see a green one. It seems to be working better in that at least there's kind of some level of consistency amongst the school. Uh, the kids know that every class they go into, they're going to see at least a green or a red. And it's not just like, I don't know what this teacher does is totally different than what this other teacher does. And still allowing some kind of autonomy between the classes on what your green looks like. That makes sense. That's a good idea. Maybe you could upload a picture of your red light, green light setup and and maybe, yeah. maybe put a little bit of detail as to where you got it and whatnot because there might be some teachers that might want to use something like that namely me okay sounds good yeah it seems to be a pretty good system i know there's been some discussion now that we're a quarter of the way in of maybe having a like a yellow light because the issue then becomes what does green mean and in every classroom green's different and really kind of saying green is like you can use your phone for whatever yellow is a little bit more like restrictive there's some things we can use it for and some things we can't and so that might be the next thing coming that's way better than just having it be you know well it's in my syllabus that's i told you what it is. Yeah. So that's, yeah, Mr. Hill, I read your syllabus. You bet. I memorized it even because it was yeah. so fascinating. Have you heard any other systems or anything that have worked? I, I really haven't. I feel like what we're doing now at our school is probably the first true like school-wide system that I have heard of. What about you? We have tried out-and-out out bans and that just doesn't work. I think like anything, complete prohibition of something that is prevalent in society just isn't going to actually function. So no, I mean, I've never seen anything that works well other than a few individual teachers who are just very good at paying attention to what kids are doing. I haven't seen anything. That's I'm so intrigued by this uh, red light, green light system. That seems like a good way to get kids to like visually be reminded, oh yeah, the rules are real strict when it's red. Yeah, and I think that's the difficult part is the school policy, and this is what the administrators are really hitting home, is if it is red, you have to take the phone if it's out. You can't have one teacher being relaxed with it and then another teacher being real hard with it. As a school, we have to understand that if you don't want to be taking phones and if that's not what you want to be dealing with, don't have it on red. But we have to be in agreement that if it is on red, we are all in agreement that it is going to get taken and that the student knows, you know, if I take your phone, I'm going to give it back to you at the end of the period. It's not a big deal as long as you don't make it a big deal. It's just a reminder that it's being a distraction to you and we need to take it away. Most kids are pretty good about that. I don't get a lot of pushback. But the thing about it, and I know you can relate to this too, and I'm guessing every teacher out there can as well, is I don't like being the phone police. That is not what I'm trying to do. And I'm not out looking for them and I'm not out wanting to take them. But it becomes that way sometimes if you don't have a decent system in place where you are just constantly fighting. I have found that just like a tap on the desk the first time is their warning and like point at it and they usually look a 
little bit ashamed that they got caught. And then if you see it again, you just I just tap and point and maybe gesture with my hand that, okay, give it to me. But I keep talking about whatever it is that I'm talking about. So that way it's not a huge distraction to everybody else. Nobody else necessarily knows that it's happening. And then it's, it's a little easier. Um, so one quick question about the red light, green light. I'm super interested. Do you have any teachers that just put it on green and leave it that way all the time? I doubt it. I would guess that some of them use it on green more frequently than red, but I would bet that everyone has it on on red on occasion. But again, I think the key is that it is being done across our building. I think that's really helpful. And I do think that that's one of the most difficult parts of any cell phone policy is that every classroom is different and every teacher has a different way of looking at things. And being able to be as uniform as possible, I think that you guys have come up with a pretty good solution. It is different with everybody. And there are some people who would prefer to have zero cell phones in school, period. And there's some other teachers that are like, listen, we use them all the time. And so you have to have something in place. If you're going to be consistent, you have to have something in place that allows for the inconsistency. (laughs) You know, and so this one seems to work. I would imagine it would help with the kids to be able to say, okay, it's on red and here's why. And now it's on green and here's why. Because part of our job is to teach them when it's okay to use these things. And so if they start to get the understanding of, oh, when it's red, it's because the teacher is talking and giving direct instruction and I need to be focused. When it's green, I'm working on my own and can use some tools. I think that's just good educational practice of helping them figure out what they need to do. All right, all of you out there in listener land, do you have any other thoughts about the positives or negatives of cell phone use? Post your ideas on our Facebook page at School Dupod. Yeah, I'm definitely going to need to go and text some people now and check all my social media. So we'll be right back after this brief word from our sponsor. This episode of School Dupod is brought to you by Substation. It sucks being sick, but it's worse when you're a teacher. Arranging for a sub contacting the school, and getting together lesson plans are all bad enough when you're well and heading out for a prearranged absence. But when you're sick, forget about it. That's why you need Substation, the number one app for all your sick day needs. Here's how it works. Download the app to your phone and register on a day when you're healthy and thinking clearly. Then fill out the survey, grade and subject you teach, the names of your school and supervisor, and the website for the subfinder your district uses. And you're all set. When you wake up feeling sick, just open your Substation app and hit the barfing emoji icon and Substation will arrange for a sub, send personalized emails to your supervisor, and create lesson plans that are specifically designed for your subject and age students, complete with handouts and materials, letting you rest easy, knowing everything is all taken care of for you. Substation, because it shouldn't be so hard to be sick. And welcome back. Now it's time for our last and favorite segment of the show, Dad Chat. It's a time for us to brag about whatever is happening in our lives that's making us happy. Chad, are you about to tell us you're planning to do one million sit-ups before you die? (laughs) No, sir, I'm not. I'm actually (laughs) going to tell you about the Nutcracker. Oh, cool. Yeah, so as you know, the Nutcracker performance in our small town of Astoria is kind of a legacy. We have a local ballet theater that puts on a awesome performance. It's been going on for 43 years now. It takes place at our local high school with a full orchestra, which is pretty rare to find, especially with a non-professional type of performance like this. All local dancers, and then they they bring in two professionals to kind of play the lead role 
roles in the show. It's really kind of special to me and my family. My wife, Emily, she's part of the production of it, and she puts in countless hours starting in September to prepare for this. And then uh, my daughter, Daphne, this year is going to play four roles. She'll be a soldier, a young lady, an angel, and a bonbon. It's going to be her, gosh, maybe third year in the show. And it's just a really cool deal. It's uh, one of those performances that you can kind of count on every year. It's always the weekend right after Thanksgiving, so it's coming up this this coming Saturday. And the fun thing about it is it kind of gets you in the holiday spirit. And then at the same time, it allows you to get to watch some of the students you have and, and some of my daughter's friends and, of course, my daughter, and, and then get to see the work my wife Emily has put in. So it's a pretty cool deal. I don't know if you ever attended while you were here in Astoria, but it's a, it's a fun thing to see. I did. I really enjoyed it because it is done very professionally, even though it's not a professional performance. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's the one thing that you hear a lot of people say is, you know, people come from all over every year to, to see this because it's so well done and the sets are good and the music is fantastic and it's, it's hard to find a better performance. So I'm excited about that. It's coming up. What do you got? Well, unlike what you said, it's not about poo, though I could tell you some stories. Ah. Bummer. I'll tell you later when the mic's off. <laughs> so last time I talked about how I was relieved that the elections were over, and that is still true, but I do want to talk about one result of the election that I am very, very excited about, and that is in Florida, Greyhound racing is being phased out. They've passed a bill or something to make it illegal after 2021, which means there are going to be thousands of Greyhounds up for adoption, and we have a rescue Greyhound we got two years ago. Her name is Rasta, and she is the sweetest dog in the world. Very, very obedient. Really, really wonderful and and loving and kind. Doesn't bark. Doesn't make a mess. She doesn't shed like crazy. She's just like kind of the perfect sort of dog you could want. She wants to go for one walk a day, and after her walk, she wants to sleep for the rest of the day. She's kind of like a big dog-shaped cat. But greyhounds are just a fantastic pet, and being able to rescue them from the difficult situation that they that they were coming out of. Like you feel like you're doing a good thing and getting an awesome dog. So if there are any of you out there that are in the market for a new dog, I can't recommend Greyhounds enough. All you have to do is look up online Greyhound Rescue near me and I can almost guarantee that there's going to be one within a few miles. So get yourself a Greyhound. They're wonderful. Good job, Florida, for doing the right thing. Yeah, way to go, Florida. And just like that, Clint, we are at the end of the show. Do you have a question? Do you have any nutso school cafeteria stories, please contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooljapod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Astoria. Find me on Instagram at chatterboxes. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. The lovely intro and outro music you are enjoying right now was performed by my talented wife, Nikki. And all our sponsors are fake, but our artwork is not. A special thank you to Corey Logan for our great cover design. Find him on Instagram at Corey Logan Art. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Red light, green light. Give me everything you got.